Hey, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And uh, we're going to be talking uh, today about God's desires for you. When I say God's desires for you, think about the kind of desires that a loving parent has for one of their children or a mentor has for a mentee or a coach that really loves his team, a really good coach that wants to see his team succeed. Think of that. That's what I mean about God's desires for you. Now, for some of you, your first and foremost kind of impression of God might be of God as a demanding God. And if not a demanding God, a disinterested God, a distant God who really, you know, you probably may feel unapproachable. Uh, maybe you don't even want to think about him. Maybe you don't want to approach him at all. Uh, some of you may think of God as a demanding God, uh, but you still think about him a lot because you are thinking a lot about how not to make him angry or how maybe to please him in some way so that he'll maybe do something good for you and won't do something bad to you, that kind of idea. You maybe are a church-going person. You maybe are even someone who's made a commitment to follow Christ, but the reality is that you really don't enjoy his presence. You really don't want to spend time with him. You really don't love him. But what if it's ultimately not about God's demands on you, but about God's desires for you? I really think that the Christmas, the whole Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, God becoming a man, all of this demonstrates at least the intention of the story, if it's true, it definitely demonstrates beyond a shadow of doubt that ultimately it's not about God's demands on us, but about God's desires for us. You may not have thought of Christmas ever that way, but I wanna show you that it is that way and that it is ultimately not about God's demands on us, but about his desires for us. Knowing and believing that God has desires for you in that way that I've been describing, it's a mindset that will completely alter your spiritual journey with God or maybe give you a reason to begin a journey with God. So we're gonna look at an account, uh, the account in Luke chapter two of the angels coming to the shepherds. And I'm gonna show you how it demonstrates that God is for you. And my hope is that you'll want to know him and that you'll want to have a close and personal relationship with him wherever you are on a spiritual journey or maybe not on a spiritual journey at all. The story is found in the second chapter of Luke's gospel. If you wanna follow along, uh, you can turn to that in your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. If you want to grab one, if you want to follow along in the story, you can grab one of the Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. It's on page 1027. And I just want to remind you, uh, as I do every single week, that understanding uh, the story of God, understanding the Bible, understanding our part in God's story, it doesn't have to be a mystery. And that's why every week we take out our Bibles and we look at them and we study them and, and we see what God has to say to us because he wants to communicate that to us. So let's pray together the uh, prayer that's going to be on the screens and uh, asking God to, to speak to us through his word. Speak to us, Father. Speak to us by your spirit in the waiting, the watching, the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, and the rejoicing. 
Speak to us by your word and walk with us until the day of your coming. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Follow along as some of our, some young five oakers uh, lead us through this passage. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. All right, so this account really demonstrates uh, to us how it's ultimately about God's desires for us. In a nutshell, the angel's message is this. The birth of Jesus is good news about a savior. It's good news about a savior. This declaration, the whole Christmas event demonstrates God's desires for you. And I hope you can gift yourself this, this one thing for Christmas. Um, that you'll move from maybe seeing God as someone who is distant or demanding and really uh, that you'll move to wanting to spend time with him. It'll be transformative. The angels announce this is good news that brings great joy. So what are God's desires for you? We're gonna look at three uh, that are in this passage. Uh, I think that the announcement makes clear that God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. God's not some disinterested, nebulous force somewhere out there in the faraway universe. Neither is he an angry, demanding deity. God is an intensely personal being. He craves an intimate relationship with those that matter to him. Who matters to him? His people that he created, creation. Why else would God become flesh? Why else would he live among us? Why would he die for us? So embedded in the angel's message, once it's fully understood, is that God was born. Think about that, God was born. He existed, Jesus, who existed eternally, in eternity past, as God the Son was born. What was the end goal of this? What was the purpose of this? God born in a stable, his first bed, a feeding trough. Why would this be? Well, one way to answer that question, why he would do this, is that God wanted us to experience a new birth, a spiritual birth. The Bible oftentimes speaks of this spiritual birth, and it does right at the beginning of John's gospel, in the very first chapter. It says, yet to all who did receive him, Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, it's a spiritual birth. He wanted us to experience a spiritual birth. But another way to answer the why, why would he do this, is that God wanted to include us in his family. He wanted to restore what has been lost. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Christmas demonstrates that it's not ultimately about God's demands on you, but about 
his desires for you. He desires that you know him. He wants you to know him personally, but that's not all. God wants to forgive you. Years ago, I got this on a Christmas card and noted it. Uh, it said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. One of the greatest problems facing many of us is how to deal with our guilt. And I'm not talking just about feelings of guilt, I'm talking about real guilt, real things that we've done, things that are hurtful, painful toward other people, selfish acts that we've carried out. Some people's answer to that might be, well, just, just create a God that doesn't do guilt and doesn't really care about sin. But the reality is you wouldn't want a God like that. I don't think you would want a God like that. If the most powerful being in the universe, actually the only being with absolute power in the entire universe, didn't care about right or wrong. You wouldn't want a God like that. I'm guessing that you want a God who's fair. I'm guessing that you want a God of justice. But if you expect to escape his justice or maybe your family members, your loved ones, your closest friends to escape God's justice, well, not only would that be weird that you would be able to escape, but it would also not be fair and not be just. Maybe you look around and say, well, wait a second, I, I, I com look, compared to a lot of other people, I'm not really that bad. I've gotta be at the middle or a little bit higher than that. Kind of like uh, Wobegon, that, that town, remember that? Everybody was above average. But the Bible doesn't say that good people go to heaven. It actually communicates that perfect people go to heaven. People who have not acted selfishly, people who have not committed injustice, people who have lived their lives entirely for God, not also partially for themselves, people who have trusted his ways more than their own way, people who are not choosing their selfish desires over doing what's right. And there's only one person that lived like that, and that was the child in the manger. The door to forgiveness was open when the baby Jesus grew up and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, the penalty that you and I should have paid. He didn't, God didn't just look the other way, that would be an injustice. He did the just thing, and he did it by paying for it himself. In Romans, the Apostle Paul describes it like this. He says, he freed us from the penalty of our own sins, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's when we're made right with God, and we, we put our trust in that. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. Another translation puts it this way. It showed that God is just and that he is the justifier. Justifier meaning making people righteous. So he's just and he is the justifier by taking the penalty himself. So this Christmas, God invites you to walk through the door and receive his forgiveness. It's a, it's a free gift. It's not something that we can earn. The Bible says that. We can't 
actually earn this for ourselves. So how do you do this? Well, we admit to him that we've sinned and that we need a savior. We acknowledge that Jesus who lived, died, and rose from the dead, Jesus is that savior. The angel announced today in the town of David has been born to you he who is Messiah, the Lord, the savior, Messiah, the Lord. Secondly, you have to receive the forgiveness that he offers by putting your faith in him as that savior. So you admit, you receive, and then you ask him to take charge of your life, to be your God and Lord. And you begin a life of learning to live in his way. And then you begin this new journey of spiritual growth and of a new relationship with him. And I remember when I first heard this message of salvation and the message of how to respond, and I eventually responded to this message, it changed everything. Changed my entire journey of my entire life. It certainly changed my spiritual the spiritual trajectory of my life. God demonstrates that it's not ultimately about God's demands on you, but about God's desires for you. His desire is to know you personally, for you to know him personally. He wants you to be forgiven. I mean, think about that, how incredible that is that God wants us to be forgiven. That's not, sound, doesn't sound to me like a, like a God who's just standing there angry, being demanding of us, or of a God that, is indifferent toward us. Thirdly, God wants to spend eternity with you. You and I were created for eternity with God. We, we messed that up. We decided that we wanted to do life our own way and that's what all of us have done since the very beginning. Um, we've chosen to be our own gods, to go in our own direction, to, to direct our own lives. But the Bible tells us that God will someday recreate the world. That's the eternity that we get to look forward to. It's not an eternity in the clouds, it's an eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. At the very end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and this is in the book version, not in the movie version, it's a little different in the movie version. Uh, one of the heroes, one of the hobbits, Sam, wakes up. And Sam is one of the central characters and he's, he's been on this grueling quest and he's faced death and he's faced evil repeatedly. He's been knocked out towards the end there and he finally wakes up in bed and he's safe and sound. He's surrounded by all these people that he loved, people that he actually thought were dead and they're alive and he's just, he's just overwhelmed with, uh, with joy and disbelief and just a sense of relief. And so he asks Gandalf, the wise old wizard, this really profound question. He says, is, there, is everything sad gonna come untrue? Just in his hope, just as he wakes up, is everything sad gonna become untrue? It's an incredible question. Can you imagine what it'd be like if everything sad became untrue? These Lord of the Rings stories were created in a mind and heart that is shaped by the biblical story. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author, was a very committed Christian. I can imagine Tolkien answering the question from a biblical perspective, and he might say something like this, yes. Yes, if by your question you mean, will evil be defeated? Will joy overcome all sorrow? Will peace outlast war? And will the memory and despair of past hardship fade away or seem like a distant dream? Yes, then everything sad will become untrue. That's the promise of eternity 
with God in the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation. Imagine being transformed in such a way that just take the example of a desire to be selfish. Imagine getting to the point where the thought of being selfish wouldn't even cross your mind. And if it did, it would be, it would be comparable to the thought of pushing someone you love, I mean someone you really love, into an oncoming train. I'm guessing nobody is tempted by that, at least not very often. Um, probably not tonight. Uh, that is like a horror that you wouldn't, it wouldn't even cross your mind. But imagine if every temptation to be selfish, to go our own way, to hurt someone would be that horrific. In the new creation, every sin will be an unimaginable horror. Because as the Apostle Paul says in one of his epistles, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is doing a transformative work in us and it will be completed on that day. God wants so much for you. I mean, we could talk about how he wants you to flourish, how he wants you to be profoundly happy. He wants that for you. He wants you to live a significant life. He wants you to live a meaningful life. But right now, a lot, a lot gets in the way of that, of that happiness, of that sense of significance and of real significance because we live in a broken world. We live with broken desires. We have broken wills. We have broken bodies. We're being transformed but it's not going to be completed in this life and in this broken world until there is a complete renewal of everything. We sin, we're also victims of other people's sins. But God wants to spend eternity with us in a new creation where everything sad, everything bad will come untrue. Sorrow will cease, evil will be eliminated will be transformed by his perfect love. This is where the story of God ends. This is, as you read the whole Bible, it is telling a story. It is telling a story from beginning to end, a story that is true, a story that is inviting us to enter. We're being invited to enter that story. And that's, that's where that story ends, which is really a beginning. So um, many years ago, uh, somebody sent me this story of some missionaries mission team had gone into Russia to teach Christianity. This was after the Soviet Union fell apart. There were a lot of Christian ministries going into Russia. They were being invited into Russia to kind of help, you know, the, the Orthodox Church there kind of get people caught up on the Bible and on God and on the Bible story. And it was Christmas time and this group had gone in and they went to an orphanage and everybody was listening with amazement and they came to discover that none of the orphans None of the staff had ever heard the Christmas story before. They told the Christmas story and they'd never heard it before. One of the missionaries um, wrote this. We gave the children some materials. We instructed them to create a manger scene that, um, that they had just, of the story they had just heard. I got to one table where little Misha sat and he looked to be six years old and he had finished his project. As I looked at the little boy's manger, I was surprised to see not one, but two babies in the manger. 
I called for a translator to come and, and I asked why. And um, looking at his completed manger scene, the child, he began to tell the story accurately up until he came to the part where Mary put baby Jesus in the manger. <laughs> then Misha started to ad lib his own ending to the story. He said, and when Mary laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked if I had a place to stay. And I told him I had no mama and no papa, so I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. So I got into the manger, and then Jesus looked at me, and he told me I could stay with him forever. That little boy understood that story probably better than most of us who have heard it all of our lives. God wants to spend eternity with you. God wants to spend eternity with me forever. So what do we do with this? Um, I want to encourage you to just t take out, if you would. Uh, hopefully when you came in, you got your own uh, worship guide and has a little card on the bottom. If you just take that out for a moment. Um, just want to give a chance, if this is a moment for you to kind of mark uh, a moment in your life or that becomes a springboard for your spiritual journey. I started by saying at the very beginning of the sermon that knowing that God has desires for you, desires for your good, knowing and believing that would be a mindset shift that'll completely alter your spiritual journey. And if you're not on a spiritual journey or you don't see yourself as being on a spiritual journey, maybe it'll give you a reason to begin a journey towards God. So on the card, if you want to, Write the letter A if you want to mark today as an important spiritual moment in your life. Today, recognizing in a new way that God is for you and Jesus died for you. So you just, you just want to mark that moment. Uh, the sermon application guide has what each letter means so you can look at it more closely. The letter B, mark the letter B, just put the letter B there if you'd like. If you want to, be, if you want to believe, <laughs> you're like, I want to believe that God is for me and that Jesus came to make things right between me and God, but I'm not sure. Just put the letter B. And uh, the reason being that if, you know, put your name there, if we have your email address, uh, I'll send you some pointers, some things that you might want to look into, um, some books that you might want to read, depending on where you are in that journey, the kind of questions that you have. Write the letter C if today you would say, no, today is a day where I, I, I believe I'm putting my faith. Today is a day I'm putting my faith for the very first time. For the first time, you're receiving God's invitation for forgiveness, this invitation to, be, to become his child, to be born anew, born from God, you now realize and believe that Jesus died for your sin, not just for sin, but he died for your sin, that he was raised for your new life. And you're saying yes, and you're asking him to call the shots in your life. You're, you're starting something new. If that's today is the day where you're starting something new, a relationship with him as your God and your savior, write the letter C. And again, I wanna send you a few pointers of some next steps that you can take. And maybe C is your desire. Maybe, yeah, that's where I'm at. Then right now, right where you are, you can, you can do as I suggested earlier, as the scripture shows us, to admit your sin, ask for forgiveness, receive Christ the Savior, 
Let him call the shots in your life and begin a new life. There's more to this than simply believing in God. The Bible goes out of its way to say that even the evil one believes in God. This is a decision to become a follower of Jesus, to become his disciple, to be made right with God by faith alone and because of his grace, not because of anything that you've done. So please join me in prayer, all of you, right now. Father, we thank you for what you've done. And I pray for anyone here today who maybe has not started this journey yet and wants to start right now, that they would admit to you that they have sinned, that they would um, ask you for forgiveness, that they would receive you as Savior and God and Lord and begin a new journey. Just right now, that the prayer of the heart would be that. Father, thank you. We all need to hear this. Every single one of us is constantly drifting in one way or another. We forget you. We go through our days, sometimes many days, not thinking about you. We know we're supposed to love you, but you seem distant. Father, draw us to you. Help us to learn to love you. Deepen our love for you as we understand what you've done for us. Help us to be grasped by these realities. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.